You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, we are launching a new series uh, today based on this um, classic work by Eugene Peterson, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it really is an amazing book. It was written years and years ago, but it still has a lot of relevance today. And, and Peterson talks about, um, he uses this metaphor of a pilgrim. And we're going to kind of come back to this metaphor throughout uh, the series to describe the process of, of becoming like Jesus, what it looks like uh, to become more and more like our Lord and Savior. And, um, and it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a, like, like a pilgrimage um, where we, we go on a long walk together uh, to see what God wants to do in us and through us. And, and I'm curious, has anybody ever been on a pilgrimage? I'm just uh, actually, yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I've been on not really a pilgrimage. I rode my motorcycle to the Grand Canyon last year. <laughs> it felt like a pilgrimage to me. I treated it as such. Um, and uh, I, it was an amazing, uh, epic journey of about 10 days uh, there and back. And I went through Bryce Canyon National Park and Zion National Park and and, and ended at Grand Canyon for a couple days and then drove drove way back. And it was just this opportunity to kind of get away from the busyness and craziness of this life and, and focus in on being with God. And I think sometimes we forget that the best way to be formed by God is simply by being with God um, and, and practicing some things in his presence of, of, of consistency um, as we journey together to seek his presence. To, it's not, you know, a lot of times people think about spiritual formation, spiritual growth, becoming like God is about doing certain things or not doing certain things. And it's actually more about becoming um, more like him. Like, we, like Josh talked about last week, we are made in the image of God. And I think part of spiritual formation is living into that reality um, more and more. Um, uh, at the beginning of the year, I shared this metaphor of, um, I remember when my kids were little and they would be walking behind me. And you remember if you have kids, you remember like, like and you're, I'm just walking normally, but they're trying, to, they're trying to mimic my steps. And so from behind, they're doing this, you know, and they're trying to, and what I noticed when they were doing this is their faces down because they're looking at my footprints and they're trying to stay with me. They're not distracted by the things going on around them. They're focused on following in my steps. And I think that's a great picture of what we're talking about when we're looking at this series about pilgrimage and following after Jesus and becoming more like him, practicing the way of Jesus, um, looking at his footsteps and trying to stay in step with him uh, to be formed into his image. And so let's pray as we think about that. Jesus, we do wanna be formed more into your image. We want to look increasingly like you both personally but also corporately as a church. We, wanna, we want our lives to image you, to, to reflect you and your goodness and your character and your kindness and all that you are. And so through this series, would you help us to see how we can grow and stay in step with you and walk in your footsteps to learn from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 133. And throughout this series, each week we're gonna look at what um, one of the Psalms, what the Hebrews called the Psalms of Ascent. And there are 15 Psalms um, in the book of Psalms. Um, and three times every year, um, the Israelites would be um, encouraged to pilgrim to Jerusalem. 
Um, and to, um, and even today, many, obviously many Jews and Christians uh, pilgrim to Jerusalem. Um, and, and there's these 15 Psalms uh, that are called the Psalms of Ascent. And what the Jewish people would do is that they would sing these songs as they journeyed to Jerusalem. Um, they were kind of the focal point of their, uh, of their walk together. And they would, they would sing these as they traveled. Um, and I'm, we're not going to sing them because um, I've tried to sing the Psalms and it ends up just sounding like a chant, you know, and I'm not, it's not very, it's not very creative, but we're not going to sing. We will read through them uh, throughout this series. And, and what they, and, and what it is, it's a way to focus our hearts and attention on what really matters, both to God and to us. Um, and now today we don't consider Jerusalem the only place you can worship, thankfully, right? Um, Jesus said to the woman at the well um, that there will be a time when um, you neither worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain that he was on at that particular time, but, but you'll worship in spirit and truth. There's, it's, it's an invitation that at any time we can, we can walk this path with Jesus. Um, God has made his home with us and, uh, and pilgrimage is an invitation to walk with him. And so let's look at Psalm 133 and see what we might learn about this pilgrimage uh, to become more like Christ. How wonderful, David writes, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. This song of ascent is about community. Just imagine this group of people, because um, in, in the biblical uh, context, you never really pilgrim alone. You, you go with a community of people. And so imagine this community of people walking up to Jerusalem and they start singing this song of ascent. How beautiful and wonderful it is when brothers and sisters dwell together uh, in unity. I mean, it's just this beautiful psalm. Uh, and I think about that, that, that context in the biblical narrative, um, Adam and Eve, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, Jesus's disciples walking together in community, following the footsteps of their rabbi. The author of Hebrews reminds us to not forsake the gathering of the people of God, to, to encourage one another in these hard days. I, I think of Jesus, he, he calls us to not only to love God, but to love one another as we love ourselves. It's, it's the, the biblical narrative is, is rich with community. Matter of fact, I don't actually think we can become more like Jesus without the practice of community. It's, it, you, in isolation, you become who you think you should be, but it always helps to rub shoulders with those around you because you end up seeing who you actually are in relationships and where you can grow and what you can do. And, 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 but too often, um, personally, and I think, I think we do this in America, especially in the Western world, we avoid community. Um, and part of it is, for me, my personality. I, I am a, an extreme introvert. It might be, might be a surprise to some of you, but I am. I'm an extreme introvert. I am just as happy. Okay, I'm happier alone than I am in, 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 in a crowd. Um, I am. I'm a five on the Enneagram. I don't know if any of you do the Enneagram, but I'm a five, um, which would, would make sense if you understand that person, personality profile. For goodness sake, I rode my motorcycle alone to the Grand Canyon. I was very happy. <laughs> was, it was, wow, this is amazing. And no offense to my wife. I love hanging out with my wife. Okay, you guys are thinking, wow, he's a, a poor woman. But I, 
I find myself, because I can say, well, it's just my personality, avoiding community. But I don't think it's just my personality alone. David, who wrote this psalm, he talks about community in familial terms, brothers and sisters. And it's a beautiful invitation to join together uh, for community, to be part of God's family. (laughs) But for those who have siblings or have spent any time in a church family, um, you begin to see that, oh, well, that's not always great. There's a reason why psychologists talk about sibling rivalry. Because at some point in relationships, we run up against conflict and competition. Every relationship has to deal with conflict and competition. I, um, I, I think about, you know, I'm, I'm right in the middle of, so I have three siblings. My youngest brother, he was three years younger than me. He passed away many years ago, but my, older, my oldest brother is three years older. My sister is one and a half years older, and then I'm third, and then my younger brother. And, and I was, as I was thinking about this message, I was trying to decide which conflict to mention to you because there's so many. I could tell you about the time when my parents made me drive my sister to a friend's house, and I was so upset. I was just being, just you know, really bad. And she, um, in the car, as I'm driving her, she wills off and punches me right in the face. (laughs) My sister does. I couldn't believe it. And I was taught right, so I just had to take it. But I can also remember um, when we were served food, um, especially fish sticks. I love fish sticks. I still love fish sticks. Probably because of the, of the hurt in my life because we would get a, like, we would get like four fish sticks and you, could, you have to finish your four before you get more. And so there was a competition to eat what was set before, in front of you as fast as you possibly could so you could get seconds. I mean, it was, just, it was just like, I looked at my siblings as you're the person making me starve right now and I'm gonna fight you for it, you know? And I think we, we, we think about relationships sometimes in terms of conflict and competition. I mean, I know there's not really much polarization happening in today's world, but it still exists. <laughs> it's still there. You know, where we see each other as, as not part of, like, a family. And, 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 and even when we see each other as part of family, I mean, Cain and Abel, <laughs> first brothers, how did that go? It ends in murder. I mean, it's been our story. It's our, it's our history. Joseph's jealous brothers who sold him into slavery. Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him right away. I mean, you just see this over and over and we, we experience this in our own lives. And then for those who have maybe grown up in a broken family, that metaphor, you just try to stay away from it. And so you just think, I don't wanna be part of a fa- another family. That, there, that's only hurt for me. And so our response, because of all of these things, ends up being, I'm good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this pilgrimage thing alone. I'm gonna walk by myself and just have surface relationships because I think the, the risk is too great, the hurt is too much, and yet when we make that choice to kind of pilgrim in isolation and, and, and allow individualism to reign in our lives, we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives, on, on, on how, he wants us to, how he wants to shape us and, and help us to become more like him because that can only happen in the context of community. Scripture reminds us how beautiful, 
how wonderful it is to journey together as brothers and sisters who get along. <laughs> who get along. How, what, what is it, I mean, how do we get along? I mean, what, what does that even look like? You know, the fullest expression of God's love for us is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he looks at us, when he looks at those people that hung him on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them. See, the fullest expression of brotherly, sisterly love is laying down your life for the other, even the other that you don't agree with. That's the fullest expression. Um, it's a countercultural invitation that Jesus asks us to journey together, to, to come out of this world and the polarization and, the, and, and, and that if you're, if you're not for me or against me, all of that kind of language and find ourselves in community where we can be of one heart and one mind. And when God's community lives like this, what does the psalmist say? What does David say? It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. <laughs> well, great. That sounds amazing. What does that mean? I mean, I don't, uh, oil flowing down Aaron's beard. Uh, okay, great. Is that good? I mean, it sounds kind of nasty, to be honest, you know? I mean, is that, okay? I mean, what, is it, what does that mean? I mean? You know, it's not like, you read this, you, sometimes you read stuff in the Bible, you go like, what are they talking about? It's like dew flowing down Mount Hermon. What David's referencing is the oil, oil was often, it often denoted um, the anointing of God, the presence of God. Um, it was a sign of God's presence. And when we dwell together in unity, God's anointing is present. His presence is in that act. They will know that you are my followers. How? By your love for one another. See, it's, it's the anointing rests there. Instead of viewing others as competitors and people that we conflict with, what David's saying is look at, look at people as those that, that bring the anointing. Like, look at them as the anointed. Peter would go so far as to call us a kingdom of royal priests, a royal priesthood. Do you look at the people, brothers and sisters here in this room maybe that you have relationship with as those anointed by God? Made in his image, set apart for Jesus. Given to us by God for our benefit and our growth. We need each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, not, it's not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety that constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what the man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. It's like the morning dew on Mount Hermon. And you're thinking, well, what does that mean? Immediately I go to another psalm that says that God's mercies are new every morning. And when you look at the other, 
when you stand across from someone maybe that you don't quite agree with that, that lives inside the context of this community and you think, God's not done with them yet. And God's not done with me yet. We are on a journey. We haven't arrived yet. God's mercies are new, just like the dew on Mount Hermon every single morning in their lives and in my life. And to, and to, and to approach each other in relationship that way, thinking, oh, man, they're a jerk. <laughs> God's not done with them yet. Instead of what we do in our society is we just, we just can't cancel them out. They're done. They're not, they can't be part of my life. They can't, I, I can't have anything to do with them. And I'm not trying, I'm not saying like go be, you know, be president in unsafe relationships. You, if you've been around our community, you know that we, we don't believe in that. But there's a, there's a place here for us to go like, all right, I'm gonna press through the uncomfortableness of being in community with people that I disagree with and sometimes don't like. And ask Jesus to help me see my brother or my sister as he sees them, as gifts of God for me, as those that are not finished. They're still in process. They're still on the pilgrimage. The mercy, their mercies of God are new for them, just as they're new for me. We refuse to label anyone as, you know, as because we know they haven't yet reached their destination. Josh talked about curiosity last week. If you were here last week, he talked about this, this question he often asks people, tell me more about that. I wanna know more. Where are you at? Where are you going? What, what's God saying to you? It's, it's not a method to get someone to listen to you. I think sometimes we try to figure out how can I, how can I treat someone so they'll hear me? It's actually, I wanna hear you. And what are you, what's God saying to you? What's going on in your life? Um, and, and so we can see them as fellow pilgrims in this journey together. Genuinely interested. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about the people in your life right now. I want you to just go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to think about the people in your life. Think about the people that you like. Maybe you're sitting next to them. Maybe, maybe they're, they're, you just have names and faces. that you know, I really like them. I'd like to spend more time with them. My favorite people. That's good. That's a good group to, to, to envision because I'm gonna call you to be grateful in just a moment for those relationships. But I also want you to put another group of people in your mind. Other people that are maybe part of this church or Christian just really get under your skin. They really bug you. And some of you are hesitating doing what I'm asking because you're like, I know what you're gonna ask me to do and I don't wanna do it. I don't wanna give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't wanna treat them with love or kindness. I don't wanna do that. And the very thing that causes his church to be distinctive, to be different than any other group in this world, is our love for each other. Especially with those 
who we might call or the world might call our enemy. Ah, it's radical. It's radical. And when we do this, what David says, what happens is this is the place, this is the space, this is the context in which God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. You can look up. This is the space where God, God's blessings flow into our life and into our churches when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Where we, where we can set aside our differences and we, can, and we can interact with one another face to face and have relationship regardless. It's the place of blessing. Peterson called it rousing good fellowship. And he writes, uh, he writes this about these relationships. Where relationships are warm and expectancies fresh, we are already beginning to enjoy the life together that will be completed in our life everlasting, which means that heaven is like nothing quite so much as a good party. Symbol in your imagination, all the friends you enjoy being with the most, the companions who evoke the deepest joy, your most stimulating relationships, the most delightful of shared experiences, the people with whom you feel completely alive, and that is a hint at heaven. For there God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. It's a place where we enjoy one another, where we like doing life together, where we look at each other and we go like, oh, God's not done with you yet. God, help me to love. Help me to forgive. Help me to be filled with mercy and kindness and compassion as you have with me. You know, three years ago, um, I wasn't sure Westside would be described as a place filled with rousing good fellowship. And, uh, and the pandemic kind of revealed that a little bit. It revealed the, the disunity, the divisions, and... And over these last three years, God has rebuilt something that I can say today, and our team would say this is really beautiful. It's beautiful because as I look out in this space and I think about the people online, the people that are part of this community, I look at you and, and man, we don't agree on everything, but I, I look at you and I go like, I could, I could do life with you. I'm so grateful for the relationships that I have with the people in this space, in this community, in this the family. <laughs> we are dysfunctional as any other family. But I'm so, I feel so blessed today that I'm a part of this particular family at this particular moment. Because I know that it's this, in this space, I'm becoming more like Jesus as you're becoming more like Jesus, that we're pilgriming together. We're, and it's not about getting from A to B. It's not like, well, I gotta get, it's about journeying together. It's about doing life together. It's about walking together in unity. So Jesus, would you help us to live like you? Even right now, Lord, I'm thinking about how, how irritating your disciples must have been to you at times. Sometimes they said things that just weren't right or real or true. And sometimes they did things that didn't represent you well. You just, you just kept loving them. 
you kept showing up in their lives. You kept, and ultimately you even like chose to die for them. Even when they all abandoned you. I, I, your way, Jesus, is so radical. It's so counterintuitive. It's so countercultural to the way that this world works today. She would help us, Lord, to steal away from this world and its way of thinking and relating to one another and try to live in the context of the way in which you lived, the way you loved, the way you forgave, the way that you treated your friends and your enemies. Oh, Jesus, help us by your spirit to live like you, to love like you, as we pilgrim together, we pray in Jesus' name.